Welcome to a two-part discussion hosted by MedTech Insight on future pathways for UK medical devices, diagnostics and digital regulation. Over the course of these two sessions, I will be asking senior directors at the Association of British Health Tech Industries what is at stake for companies accessing the UK market and what will change as Great Britain moves ahead and builds for itself a new place in the world outside the EU. Today we're putting questions on these themes to ABHI Chairman Phil Kennedy and the Association's Director of Regulatory and Compliance, Phil Brown. To gauge how far the UK has come so far, what can be its realistic ambition in devices regulation and what major tasks and thresholds lie up ahead for the UK devices and regulatory ecosystem. Hello, gentlemen. First to Phil Kennedy, if I may, and the enabling regulation project you've set up at the ABHI. This was the title of your recent regulatory conference, which, among other things, you hosted with um, MHRA Chairman Stephen Lightford. Phil, can you describe how regulation as a theme has been elevated in the UK and your role in and names for this project? Thanks, Ashley. Yes, it was a a good conference this year, always one of our most popular and well attended, obviously virtual this year, which is, is always less enjoyable. But certainly the subject matter has become uh, elevated in terms of priority on a number of board uh, tables around the industry, both large corporates and SMEs. And I thought that came through very strongly. We were delighted to have Stephen Lightfoot talk eloquently about the challenge to reform and improve the regulatory system for manufacturers and and uh, stakeholders in, in our sector. Uh, and, and I think the feedback was was extremely good. Um, and we, you know, we thank you for your contribution with some, some killer questions, uh, to the MHRA, who are obviously at the center of, of, of an, a huge challenge, uh, during the pandemic and, and came out with flying colors, I think. And, uh, you're actually leading on this element of the project, um, AABHI. Regulations are subject close to my heart. I mean, it's always slightly, um, seen as a dry subject, I guess. Um, it, it, for us, um, the certainty of having a regulatory pathway that we understand and we see really as just another business process rather than a barrier to investment or a barrier to innovation um, is something I've, I've spent my entire career um, uh, trying to, to, to sort of champion. And it, it, it's great to see the ABHI um, wrestling with the subjects that affect the industry. So there are five challenges that we're involved in. Uh, Regulation, enabling regulation being one that I'm leading on. Innovation and investment in the UK market being a second. The growth of SMEs being a third. The sustainability agenda, which is huge right now, being the fourth and also uh, our relationship and ongoing collaboration with the NHS. So the relationship between industry and the NHS is our fifth core board challenge. So we're, we're, we're pretty well engaged across the sector. OK, thank you. So um, you, you spoke of wrestling, wrestling the challenges there. Um, the UKCA marketing consultation is due to start up soon, I understand. I can ask uh, Phil Brown. Um, what will this do and what, what does industry need from it, this process? Yeah, thanks, Ashley. Do you know, um, it's great to hear the chairman of, uh, of our association say that regulations uh, are close to his heart. You know, that was one of the things which uh, I really sort of tried to uh, get going when I first joined ABHI five years ago is to really sort of get people to think of regulation as a business process. And in fact, now that we've got this 
this new CA marking uh, process on the horizon, I don't think there's any better time uh, to start thinking of, of regulation in that way. Um, just as a, as a quick update, of course, we, we work very closely with the MHRA on a, on a wide variety of, uh, of issues, including uh, the drafting and potentially the sort of uh, how the new process is going to look. So we know that uh, the MHRA have been very busy in trying to uh, get together the principles of, of CA marking, uh, and that's likely to come out as a public consultation uh, during July, um, mid-July, I suspect, probably with about a, a 10-week uh, public consultation period. And uh, interestingly, when you think about those sorts of timings, uh, the reason why it is probably close to uh, Phil's heart is that you look at those timings and say, right, 10 weeks is going to take us into July, August, September, October. By the time all of those sorts of uh, uh, comments have been collated and worked up into a draft of a statutory instrument, we could be looking at uh, beginning of the year, first quarter of of next year before we have uh, the full text of what a statutory instrument could look like. And that, of course, is only 12 to 14 months before we end up having to put CA marks on products uh, on the 1st of July 2023. So timings are very critical, particularly for companies like Phil's, uh, which are, uh, you know, uh, at the forefront of technologies, uh, SME, SME-based uh, very fleet-footed, but they still need that lead-in to make sure that labelling, for example, can be uh, uh, set in place properly, or new processes in post-market surveillance can be properly, properly handled. So, yeah, really critical timing, and that's why I think that it's really beneficial and useful, and, uh, and we're very grateful that we can have those interactions with the MHRA at this time. Great. And uh, the companies, too, will be looking forward to Hearing more about the Medicines and Medical Devices Act 2021, it came out in spring as the primary legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, has, has it been called? It, has it been called into use yet? What are the next stages in building the secondary legislation, Phil? Um, it, it, no, it hasn't. Well, it's in place, of course, and, and as you rightly say, it is that primary legislation which will be used to update uh, the statutory instruments that we currently have. Um, those secondary legislations are obviously likely to come once we know what this what the actual principles are going to be uh, like in in July um, in our conversations with the MHRA we know that there is going to be um, um, guidelines produced sort of almost in parallel with defining what that CA marking process is um, those we're not going to necessarily have consultations on, but we'll hopefully have inputs into during some deep dives during the summer. Um, so um, I think a lot of those things are going to be aimed around making our regulations that much more predictable at the moment. As you can probably understand, it's a little bit of a rocky road. Uh, but uh, uh, adding to that predictability... Uh, of regulation whilst having those sorts of guidelines in place uh, may be a way of doing that. And, of course, those guidelines will then be sort of introduced uh, potentially through that secondary legislation. So nothing at present at the moment. We're just waiting for that consultation to come out. Okay, thanks. Um, Phil Kennedy, can I ask you about the the, the global remit that's been referred to a lot recently, the MDSAP and IMDRF observer status um, that uh, MHRA has got 
and the, the potential global uh, influence that the UK can have, but that will have an effect on domestic um, industry here in the UK. And why, why, why does it matter? Why does, does that matter to the UK? Well, I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, um, the MHRA have been at the centre of, of global affairs during the pandemic and the, the way that they responded to the need to give a very clear and flexible and speedy response to placing products on the market um, was world class. And to, to lose that momentum would be a real missed opportunity. Uh, and MHRA, as, as, again, as I said earlier with Stephen speaking at our conference, very much uh, has, has made that point that it, to build on the lessons learned from COVID, we need to be now outward facing and not domestically orientated. So to be outward facing and look more globally, we need to be able to uh, talk about s- similar conforming systems. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the debate that's been raging for years, really, about harmonization of standards and of systems will continue um with the introduction of the UK CA mark and what it means to how companies view the UK as a as an investable destination, as well as a place to uh, innovate speedily and safely and effectively. So other comp- other countries will be looking at the way that we launch the new regulation, and we should equally be learning the lessons from working globally to deal with the pandemic as to how we can work on the go- on the global stage. So it's it's very much about not just being um, domestically inwardly focused, I think. Uh, and Phil Brown, um, best practices from elsewhere uh, mm. in the world being integrated into the UK system. Stephen Lightfoot promised changes changes on that front um, where appropriate in terms of what innovations the UK should focus on and perhaps its general remit in devices. Um, can you give a flavour of what the benefits of that uh, global integration for the UK might be on a practical level? Yeah, and, and I think quite rightly, people are focusing very much on our role within uh, groups such as the uh, International Medical Device Regulators Forum and the work which is coming out from them, such as MDSAP, uh, Medical Device Single Audit Program, and how that could potentially benefit uh, uh, companies from a global perspective, you know, sort of making sure perhaps that uh, in in the case of MDSAP, uh, although it's sort of uh, perhaps a while off, you know, having one audit can fit many different jurisdictions. I think that it's quite right that we focus on that. But then there's also the potential uh, that we often forget is that now that we're outside of Europe, one of the benefits of being outside Europe is that you don't necessarily have to look eastwards for your best uh, practice. So looking at other jurisdictions and sort of seeing whereabouts those uh, best practices are is is really useful. If they would fit with the way that we could do CA marking, that would be great. Uh, But it gives us the opportunity to look and, uh, you know, if, even if we look uh, uh, westwards just towards the FDA just for a moment, some of the things which they do as part of um, uh, the Breakthrough Devices uh, Act, for example, you know, or the, uh, the bits around the 21st Century uh, Cures Act, which uh, Lincoln Sang expressed uh, during our conference uh, recently, you know, a lot of those things 
could potentially benefit the way that we look, particularly at innovation. And that was also something which Stephen Lightfoot really picked up on, was, yes, we are going to have those regulatory requirements and data requirements for quality, safety and performance, as we all expect and as... Uh, um, um, the patient expects and the public expects but what it also means is that in dealing with that sort of data compatibility side with Europe and making sure that all of that data is 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 compatible uh, what it also means is that we can look at how we deal with the process of regulation and that process of regulation through looking at best practice uh, could really benefit the way that we actually move forward. And, and looking at that process, he, I think he said it's a once-in-a-generation opportunity that the UK... Uh, Absolutely. Um, and he also might have been referring to the agility that we saw in terms of uh, regulating products, um, the ventilator challenge as well during the COVID pandemic. And can some of these ideals, practices, um, are they possible to bring into... Yeah, most definitely. Um, You know, you sort of look at um, uh, and you ask a number of companies, uh, you say, well, uh, will you be launching your product in Europe or will you be launching your product in um, uh, other places now? And a lot of people will say, well, actually, it's better for us if we launch our products in the uh, with in the US through the FDA and one of the reasons why or two of the reasons why that is is because the regulations are that much more predictable and the FDA write really good guidelines so they have like a framework of regulation that they work with and then if somebody comes up with a new technology they can write guidelines which then fit that peg into that system and that's something which is dare I say, uh, a little bit less flexible when it comes to working with CE marking. So, again, there are those best practices and processes uh, which may work. And then when we were sort of working within the uh, the ventilator challenge and, and thinking of the COVID uh, relationship, yes, we had some really clever ways of dealing with that that Phil alluded to, Um we really did increase the number of stakeholders that were involved in that regulatory process. Um, you know, to have academics, patients, uh, surgeons, as well as industry and the regulator and notified bodies involved in that means that everybody is aware of what they need to do at an earlier stage and means that they can anticipate what the regulatory output should look like before their product actually gets to the patient. And that was one of the critical elements of, of the way that we dealt with, uh, with the ventilators. And, and I think that Although that can potentially lead sometimes to regulation by exception, which is not ideal, what it does show you is that regulation can be all-encompassing and more uh, more um, rounded than it currently is. So, yes, there are definitely those learnings that can be made. So, uh, Phil Kennedy, there's a blueprint there, blueprint for, for change. Um, uh, it will rely on the, the buy-in. Uh, of everyone in the uh, in the sector is that something that the industry obviously is uh, is prepared to to play into as far as you can see I think we're very optimistic that the timing is perfect as you said uh, an opportunity um, perhaps once in a generation to to collaborate in a way that we, we perhaps always talked about between um, industry and regulator or, or the clinical or academic communities. 
not to labour the point about the vaccine approvals, but when you, when you listen to June Rain, for example, who sits on our health technology partnership, which I have the privilege of co-chairing with Lord Bethel, you know, she would say one of the things that helped during that time was the fact that as data was coming off the trials, it was being instantly emailed to the regulator. It wasn't waiting for a milestone that was determined by a fixed process and that that hugely sped up the uh, information that was shared um, almost kind of by the minute as as trial data was available with the regulators so they were uh, they were very cite- they were cited very early on and if that's a model that we can take forward for all sorts of innovation then i think you know as i say we should be very optimistic that this opportunity will be seized okay so my, my final question uh, gentlemen is a uh, um, Stephen Lightfoot, again, he referred to you and you referred to it just then, Phil, um, collaboration and partnership working with the industry, um, which is uh, very refreshing to hear, I'm sure. What What is possible and desirable, uh, uh, both maybe Phil Kennedy first? I, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're here to ensure that innovation uh, safely affects the lives of patients. We're all patients at the end of the day. And um, the, the, all of this discussion... It, 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 interesting as it is will only be effective if if the access to innovation um is improved and as an as an association it's been one of our you know key themes for for, for many years to say at the end of the day um patients life will be improved if innovation consistently and sustainably um flows through the system into into use so what we're hopeful of is that the collaboration that we talk about will actually translate into more innovative products becoming routinely used for the for the good of patients it's about patient outcomes of course it's about safety um but but if that doesn't move the dial um to use a bit of a cliche then this will be just a somewhat uh uh, inward-facing process improvement efficiency gain, and that's not what we're about. No, that's not what you'd want. Uh, Phil, is there a, a, a new comment on that, and then any wrap-up comment you'd like to make as well? Yeah, uh, uh, I, I think that um, if I was to speak uh, as Phil Brown at the moment, um, I honestly think that um, the, the, the new regulations, the NDR and the IVDR, have really been developed in a way which increases the separation between industry and the regulator and makes regulation that much more of a box ticking exercise and and i think that uh, the way that we've been approaching this subject is almost to bring that not back to a point where we have uh, so little uh, separation that uh, uh, you know you can't see daylight there clearly has to be separation between the regulator and industry but it means that we have an effective collaboration on how we deal with things like risk and benefit and I, I would really just like to bring it back to uh, Phil's opening points around the um, uh, the board challenges that we have it it is such an exciting time for somebody like myself as a lowly regulator uh, to be involved in these sorts of challenges simply because you look at those titles, innovation and investment, SMEs, sustainability and NHS collaboration as well as enabling regulation. Throughout all of those board challenges, people are talking about the impact of regulation and there is no more exciting time for people to be, in my 
regulatory affairs industry at the moment. And, and I think that that is tremendously exciting. Mm, well, that's very, very good to hear. Um, thank you then um, to Phil Kennedy and Phil Brown for sharing your insight today. The challenge goes on, but also the opportunities, are obviously, as you've described, are clear um, to be seized. Um, in the second of the sessions, um, we will hear the views of ABHI Steve Lee and Andrew Davis on the need for a regulatory system in the UK and further afield that accommodates and advances IBD's innovation and digital health healthcare techniques. And for now, thank you to Phil Kennedy and Phil Brown. <laughs>